I don't respond to him. I don't pay any attention to him because that's merely a distraction. And if you get drawn into that, and I have to be honest, that cesspool of interaction, it doesn't help anything. Now, is Anthony Fauci talking about Elon Musk there or Donald Trump? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. And is there any difference? I've got the feeling that something right. At this point. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. I don't think so. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Getting harder and harder to tell the difference. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am... From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon where we've got some very good news today on the Central Coast on KYAQ in Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on W News. Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Rochester, New York, on WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle, on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. All right, I have been uh, trying and trying for weeks to ignore it, but it seems I just can't uh, can't do it any any longer. I have been trying to not talk about... Twitter and Elon Musk's takeover of the once critical, now of questionable, dubious purpose social network. And, of course, Elon Musk's hard right turn that seems to have come along with it, or at least has now been revealed by it during his uh, some six weeks or so of ownership. Has it only been six weeks? (laughs) It feels like it's been forever. But, yeah, it seems to be getting worse by the day. Boy, did that guy take a right turn. Anyway, uh, a I, screeching know, right turn. Yeah, right. Uh, hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Now, I, you know, I find the entire thing so stupid and pointless. So I, I've wanted to talk about almost anything but that. Although there's a whole lot of stupid and pointless stuff going on uh, these days <laughs> that I've got to avoid because it'll just make you and me crazy both. Anyway, as uh, Musk's ownership has continued now to take sort of a darker and darker turn in recent days, uh, uh, dissolving the company's trust and safety council entirely, Tweeting as he did, quote, my pronouns are prosecute Fauci. 
And in, you know, just those five words, taking a shot at transgender people while supporting both the anti-vaxxer movement and the QAnon conspiracists. Well, all of this has sort of gone from dumb to potentially quite dangerous. We'll be joined momentarily by a longtime activist and progressive blogger who has taken on right wing media in various forms for many years now who uh, has some thoughts on how to respond to the various dangers that Musk seems to be creating via Twitter, which he now owns for the low, low price of just $44 billion. What, if anything, can be done about any of it? And as it turns out, this particular activist and progressive blogger actually worked with Elon Musk many years ago to help him at the time, deal appropriately with corporate media before Musk went on to supposedly become the richest man in the world. I don't think he is that anymore since his Twitter boondoggle. But it sure sounds like Musk no longer gives a damn about the media or what anyone in the world thinks of him or his once popular companies like Tesla whose market value and favorability among the public have just plummeted over the past several weeks. So we'll get to that in a moment. First, a couple of uh, stories of note today, and both of them good news in their own way. In fact, the first one is likely to be the best state government news you will hear all week, maybe all year, as far as I'm concerned. As you may know, Democrat Tina Kotek defeated Republican Christ, uh, uh, Christine Drazen last month in Oregon to become Oregon's governor-elect replacing the outgoing term-limited Democratic governor Kate Brown in January. But before leaving office, Governor Brown had a bit more work to do. As reported last night by Oregon Public Broadcasting, in her final weeks in office, Democratic Governor Kate Brown is commuting the sentences of all of those on death row right now in her state. And as if that isn't good, good enough news on its own, she has ordered the dismantling of the state execution chamber. That ought to take care of it. That in an effort to effectively end capital punishment in Oregon once and for all. Quote, I've been very clear to Oregonians. I'm opposed to the death penalty because it's both dysfunctional and immoral, Brown said in an interview this week. She will commute the sentences of all 17 individuals left on death row to life in prison without the possibility of parole, effective today. The governor's decision is the latest in an ongoing effort by Democratic lawmakers to stop executing people, uh, Oregon Public Broadcasting reports. In other words, to stop the government's sanction of murder as I have no problem describing it. Quote, the death penalty has never been administered fairly or equitably in Oregon, Brown said, and in fact it's been quite arbitrary, and that is not how criminal justice is supposed to work. Well, thank you, Governor. Brown, who has used her power of clemency more than any of the state's previous governors, said for the other commutations, she cited uh, personal growth as part of the reason for reducing a person's sentence. But this time, she notes, the decision is solely based on her belief that the death penalty is immoral 
and a waste of taxpayer dollars that does not make communities any safer. And that is true, and especially the part about not making communities any safer at all. If it did, then we would see a change in crime rates that uh, would reflect it, and we haven't. We haven't. The uh, The death penalty has nearly been abolished in the state of Oregon entirely by both law and practice. Uh, previous Governor John Kitzhaber opted to stop enforcing the death penalty in 2011, and Brown has continued that practice, that moratorium. The state has executed just two death row inmates in the past 50 years. The last person executed in the state was in 1997. Capital punishment, however, remains in the state constitution and cannot be removed without a public vote. Democratic governor-elect Tina Kotek told Oregon Public Broadcasting uh, during the election that she was opposed to the death penalty because of her religious beliefs. Eliza Kaplan, the director of the Criminal Justice Reform Clinic at Lewis and Clark Law School in Portland, applauded the governor's decision, saying, quote, if our criminal legal system is about public safety, there's absolutely no public safety risk in this decision. Nonetheless, state uh, Senate Republican leader Tim Knopp, I don't know if it's Knopp or Knopp, He said it should be up to the voters to decide whether to repeal the death penalty. Quote, did the people of Oregon vote to end the death penalty? I don't recall that happening, Knopp said, before adding this unbelievably stupid comment. Quote, this is another example of the governor and the Democrats not abiding by the wishes of Oregonians. Really? Is it really, Mr. Knopp? Because isn't it also in the state constitution that a governor may commute a prisoner's sentence? Or does that part of the Constitution, the Oregon law, does that part not matter to you? Why do you, why do you hate the state Constitution, Senator? <laughs> Moreover, why do you, as a Republican who claims to be a conservative small government, why do you support the government killing its citizens, sir? Doesn't sound very conservative to me. Sounds like the biggest form of big government that your party uh, pretends to abhor, but I guess you're fine with the government just killing citizens now, right? Brown has used her clemency powers to either pardon or commute sentences more than any other governor in the state's history, but that was pretty easy because in November, Brown granted more than 47,000 pardons to people who had a possession of one ounce or less of marijuana on their records. So uh, good for Governor Brown. Thank you. That's Governor. a little sanity there. That's good. A little bit. We'll take it. We'll take it where we can find it. And one more uh, down to sort of down to the buzzer effort here uh, before the in, in this case, the new Congress is sworn in next month. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced this week that he expects there will be action on the Electoral Count Act reform bill before the new Congress takes over in January. The Democratic leader said he anticipates the end-of-year omnibus spending bill that's currently being negotiated and must be passed before the end of the year. He anticipates that will include reform on the outdated, opaque, and incredibly poorly, confusingly written 1887 law known as the Electoral Count Act, which lays out how presidential electors are counted in Congress on January 6th uh, after a presidential year when they are certifying the Electoral College vote. 
Schumer said that he expects the omnibus bill, quote, will contain priorities both sides want to see passed into law, including more funding for Ukraine and the Electoral Count Act. Democrats and a handful of Republicans have been negotiating ECA reform over the past year with Senators Susan Collins, the Republican from Maine, and Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia, announcing that they had come to a bipartisan agreement over the summer, but it has been unclear for some time if the legislation would actually get passed in the Senate during the lame duck session. ECA reform would clarify the vice president's role in certifying a presidential election as being ceremonial and merely ministerial when uh, in order to make it clear that the vice president, that he or she does not have the sole power to address disputes over electors, as Donald Trump and his corrupt attorneys had tried to argue on January 6th of 2021 in hopes of stealing the presidential election from the American people. The new bill, the reform of that uh, Electoral Count Act, would raise the threshold for Congress to invalidate legitimate electors during the congressional certification of the electoral vote and uh, would raise the threshold for state legislatures to override the popular vote in their states. It will be great to get that done, said Senator Schumer, referring to the Electoral Count Reform Act in what could be perhaps the understatement of the year. Yeah, (laughs) it will be great to get that done, particularly with the U.S. Supreme Court now deliberating in the case of Moore v. Harper, which, depending on how they rule, could actually allow state legislatures to simply name any slate of electors that they want for their state, no matter how the voters of their state actually voted for president. So hopefully, if if ECA reform is adopted, it'll make it much more difficult, at least, if not impossible, for a corrupt, gerrymandered state legislature to steal an election from the American people. During his uh, efforts to overturn the 2020 election, you'll recall former President uh, Trump and his team tried to take advantage of some of the ambiguous language in this 135-year-old law, repeatedly and falsely claiming that then-Vice President Mike Pence had the power to unilaterally throw out any electoral votes that he wanted during the certification process. Thankfully, Pence resisted Trump's order to stop the electoral count, citing with uh, most legitimate legal and constitutional scholars at the time who felt uh, that uh, neither the state, uh, neither the statute, I'm sorry, nor the uh, Constitution gave him the authority to do so. This bill, the Electoral Count Act Reform Bill, should finally clarify all of that. Experts however, have been concerned about whether the bipartisan group of senators will be able to pass ECA reform before a divided Congress takes over in the new year and whether the bill can get the support of 10 Republican senators who would be needed to avoid a filibuster. So all of this remains to be seen. But the news here is that at least, according to Schumer, it is still on the schedule and they still hope to pass this before year's end. 
The House, for their part, has already passed a version of this bill back in September after all the Democrats voted in favor of it, but just nine Republicans in the lower chamber. So, you know, if this gets kicked down the road to next year, when Republicans pick up a majority there and many of those nine Republican members of Congress will no longer be there, it's questionable whether it will pass at all in the House. So or this, whether whoever the speaker is will bring it up for a vote. Correct. So this needs to get done before the end of 2022. Uh, so, you know, we will see. Uh, even if they do pass it in the Senate, there's the question, will their version match the version in the House? And so will the House agree to the new version, the different version that is passed by the Senate if it is passed? Well, we hope so. Maybe we're hoping for a Christmas miracle here. <laughs> well, at least we'll get Republicans on record if it is put up for a vote. Oh, I think we know what the record is for those <laughs> Republicans. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break here. We will catch our breath before d- diving down into the Elon Musk Twitter rabbit hole. Sorry in advance. Uh, and we will see if there's anything that can be done about any of it to sort of try to end all of this madness. Uh, And we've got a good guest to talk about it today. All of that is ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Join us, won't you? Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Oh well, everybody's heard about the bird, 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 the bird's the word. Oh well, a bird, 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 bird's the word. Oh well, a bird, 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 well, a bird's the word. Yes, everyone has heard about the bird. The bird is the word. In this case, the bird in question is otherwise known as Twitter, which everyone has heard about by now, I think. If they hadn't prior to six weeks ago, well, they certainly have by now. It's hard to escape conversation about it, frankly. And believe me, I have tried. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. To be honest, uh, because it is all, frankly, so stupid and grotesque, well, I have been following as much as I can stomach regarding Elon Musk's $44 billion takeover of Twitter in recent weeks. I haven't covered it m- uh, much on the show here. Uh, it's, it's all largely an ill-advised and even accidental because he tried to get out of the dumb overpriced deal after he had made the initial offer but couldn't. Uh, It's an ill-advised ego trip for Musk in general, who has in the six weeks or so since he took over the social network platform, cozied up with right-wingers and conspiracy theorists and right-wing politicians who had previously been banned from the service for encouraging violence or spreading false claims about COVID and election fraud and more. He's removed the permanent account bans on, for example, a whole bunch of neo-Nazis and QAnon conspiracy accounts. Also, he's restored the accounts of people like Donald Trump, who has yet to take the bait, surprisingly enough. 
uh, far-right Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has returned to use the platform to, yes, spread more misinformation about COVID vaccines and phony cures. And, of course, the rap artist formerly known as Kanye West, who has since been re-banned just days later after being uh, let back onto the service after he posted a swastika in his Twitter feed. Over the past week or so, Musk has uh, has had a, a few hand-selected journalists and that he's given access to, to certain internal files at Twitter, with the agreement that any stories that they file must first be posted on Twitter itself in a series that they have dubbed The Twitter Files. They purport to show the decision-making process and internal debates among company executives when it comes to things like the difficult decision of finally banning Donald Trump's account permanently years after it should have already been banned for violating so many of Twitter's policies and leading to so much violence and even death. When I have read those Twitter files stories over the past week on Twitter, I saw company executives uh, described as wrestling with different difficult topics and how best to handle them and how to explain them to the public. When the myriad of folks from the right and, yes, even many from the far left read some of those threads, well, they have clearly seen them as confirmation that right wingers had been purposely mistreated for purely political purposes by the left-wing executives at Twitter. But the information posted in those Twitter files stories that I read never actually showed any evidence of that. But those looking for confirmation bias, whether they actually bothered to read the threads or not, well, they were able to find what they were looking for, it seems, as easily as they believe they saw evidence of massive fraud in the 2020 presidential election, where no fraud or at least evidence of it actually exists either. Since Musk bought Twitter, a number of researchers and advocacy groups have pointed to a huge spike in posts that contain racial epithets as well as attacks on Jewish people, LGBTQ people, particularly those who are transgender or advocates for the community. According to Musk, Twitter acted quickly to reduce the overall vis visibility of posts like that. Ironically enough, that is the exact same thing that is actually highlighted by those supposedly damning Twitter files threads detailing how the company reduced the visibility of offensive or violent or dangerously misleading tweets before Elon Musk took it over. So to be frank, I find all of this just so stupid. And pointless and good for nobody on a service that actually once served a critical public need both in the U.S. and around the globe. So because of that, frankly, I haven't wanted to spend my time or waste yours talking about it. Well, uh, now it seems what is going on there is actually becoming somewhat dangerous, I think. And yes, worth talking about to see, if only to see if there's anything that can be done about it. 
As AP reports this week, Elon Musk's Twitter has now dissolved its Trust and Safety Council, the advisory group of around 100 independent civil, human rights, and and other organizations that the company formed in 2016 to address hate speech, child exploitation, suicide, self-harm, and other problems on the platform. The council had been scheduled to meet with Twitter representatives on Monday night, but Twitter informed the group via email that it was disbanding it entirely shortly before the meeting was to take place. That according to multiple members. The council members who provided images of the email they received from Twitter to the Associated Press spoke on the condition of anonymity due to fears of retaliation. And they had good reason for those fears, which I'll get to in a moment. The email said Twitter was, quote, reevaluating how best to bring external insights. And the council is, quote, not the best structure to do this. Our work to make Twitter a safe, informative place will be moving faster and more aggressively than ever before. And we will continue to welcome your ideas going forward about how to achieve this goal, said the email, which was signed simply Twitter. The volunteer group provided expertise and guidance on how Twitter could better combat hate and harassment and other harms, but didn't have any decision-making authority and didn't review specific content disputes. It was merely an advisory group. Council member Alex Holmes explained that Twitter's Trust and Safety Council, quote, was a group of volunteers who over many years gave up their time when consulted by Twitter staff to offer advice on a wide range of online harms and safety issues. At no point, he said, was it a governing body or a decision-making body. The disbanding of that council came just days after three council members announced that they were resigning in a public statement posted on Twitter that said that, quote, contrary to claims by Elon Musk, the safety and well-being of Twitter users are on the decline. Those former council members soon became the target of online attacks after Musk amplified criticism of them and Twitter's past leadership for allegedly not doing enough to stop child sexual exploitation on the platform. Yes, the notion that is central to the entire QAnon conspiracy network. Musk tweeted, quote, it is a crime that they refused to take action on child exploitation for years. He tweeted that without any actual evidence to support that very serious charge. Former Twitter employee Patricia Cartes, whose job it was to form that uh, Trust and Safety Council back in 2016, said that uh, on Monday its disillusion, quote, means there's no more checks and balances, unquote. And that's especially true now that Musk has laid off well over half of the company's staff, begging the question of whether anybody other than Musk himself is actually on the job of preventing dangerous or violent or harassing or racist or misleading tweets and accounts on the service with tens of millions of people. Earlier on the very same day that the Trust and Safety Council was disbanded, the person actually employed by Twitter to head up its trust and safety policies reportedly had to flee his home due to an escalation in threats from Musk's campaign of criticism against him. According to a person familiar with the matter, 
Yoel Roth, who resigned from the social media company in November, has in recent weeks faced a storm of attacks and threats of violence following the release of those so-called Twitter files. The detailed, highly selective internal Twitter communications released by Musk, including a number of them from Roth. Roth's position at the company involved him working on sensitive issues, including the eventual suspension of then-President Donald Trump's account back in 2021. And while Musk had been initially publicly supportive of Roth, well, things took a dark turn over this past weekend when Musk appeared to endorse a tweet that baselessly accused Roth of being sympathetic to pedophilia, which is a common trope used by conspiracy theorists like those involved with QAnon to attack people online. A person familiar with Roth's situation told CNN that threats made against the former Twitter employee escalated exponentially after Musk himself engaged in the pedophilia conspiracy theory online. Well, things have gone quickly downhill ever since, I think, as if they hadn't hit rock bottom already, when Musk, who himself has spread false claims, for example, about COVID-19, well, he returned to that topic this week with a tweet that mocked transgender pronouns while calling for a criminal prosecution against Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert, and one of the leaders of the COVID-19 response under both Presidents Trump and Biden for prosecution for reasons that Musk did not bother to make clear. So all of this is quickly escalating from dumb to dangerous. So is there anything that can actually be done about it by we the people other than to watch all of this madness play out until people actually get hurt in real life? Well, I am still personally on Twitter myself at the Brad blog. I recently announced I'm also now available over at Mastodon, an open source nonprofit social media service, though one with nowhere near the reach of Twitter. After signing up uh, at Mastodon uh, under the same name, at the Brad blog, I was greeted by an old activist friend and blogger, the creator of SpockosBrain.com, a blog. Uh, he tweets under that name and simply as Spocko over at Mastodon. One of his first comments to me over there was, hey, if you want to talk about Twitter and Musk, the harm he is causing to people and what we can do about it, drop me a line. Well, that sounds like a good idea. What, if anything, can we do about it? Spocko has spent years taking on big corporate media villains, including way back in 2006, uh, by way of just one example, when he organized to try and defund right-wing talk radio after it had become poisoned with violence by folks like Michael Savage and Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh. He took on San Francisco's talk radio giant KSFO, winning himself a lawsuit from ABC and Disney that actually shut down his blog for a while until the Electronic Freedom Foundation helped him to, yes, beat Disney, believe it or not. Blogger and activist Spocko continues that work even as he writes about science fiction and politics for his own blog, Spocko's Brain, and contributes to progressive blogs from such uh, our friends such as uh, Digby's Hullabaloo and John Amato's Crooks and Liars. His background also, as it turns out, happens to include preparing high tech executives 
to talk to the media and to customers and investors. And as it turns out, back in the 1990s, he actually worked with Elon Musk on those very things before Elon Musk became uh, rich and famous and now, well, uh, well, either loved or loathed by about half of Earth's population, depending on who one asks. Oh, Mr. Spocko, thank you for joining us on the broadcast today, sir. It's great to be here. You know, before we get to the meat of all of this and, and what, if anything, can actually be done about any of it, is there anything that you can tell us, Spocko, and I should note that's a pseudonym. He prefers to use that so to not bring attention to the type of activist work he does. Uh, is there anything that you can tell us about your time working with uh, Musk even before he became, I think, before he became a gazillionaire from PayPal, if I if I recall, anything you could tell us that might inform us uh, about what we should know about him and his behavior today? Yeah, uh, well, I, I like to say to people, when I was done with him, he was fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. You didn't but break him. Okay, I didn't break him. Actually, I, you know, I I was brought in with a bunch of uh, executives before they became famous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I work with the uh, founders of Google, mm-hmm. uh, Sheryl Sandberg, uh, those people. And at the time, what a big part of it is, is getting them basically to tell their story and, you know, sell their product mm-hmm. and to not put their foot in their mouths, uh, to not say terrible things. Uh, uh, for example, some of them were uh, very sexist, and uh, they're very much uh, dismissive of the female reporters and journalists that I would bring in to, you know, prep them with. Mm. And so, part of the thing we would say, like, we would record those videos and say, uh, "So, can you see how uh, you're condescending here?" And uh, they would, "Oh, yeah, yeah." And I was often brought in by the venture capitalists, and they were saying basically, uh, "We will stop giving you money." until you figure out how not to make a fool out of yourself. Mm -hmm. And that was the pressure. Uh, It was one of the things that I learned from working with these people on the corporate level. Mm -hmm. As they got more and more powerful, uh, I would often be brought in by uh, women professional communicators, and they're going, this guy is nuts, and he needs to go out on the road and talk to journalists, and we're going to screw up. Well, he wouldn't listen to them, so the venture capitalist is a. You know, is that mu- you're saying Musk wouldn't listen to them? They wouldn't listen to the necessarily the women who he employed, the communication people he employed. So he, he personally, comes. you're not you're not talking about these uh, guys in general. You're talking specifically about Elon Musk, who wouldn't listen yeah. to that. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, so you needed to have an additional uh, uh, pressure, you mm-hmm. know, an outside pressure that he either respected or he was worried about. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that I learned then, and that was the thing that I took forward in the various different campaigns that I worked at in order to see about stopping the harm mm-hmm. coming from right-wing media. Mm-hmm. And I you know, knew the advertisers, I knew the people who worked there, and I said, hey, you, know, you wouldn't let somebody who worked for you say these horrible things, and uh, so they would you know, pull their ads. The thing that we're now talking about, Musk, and your, your question is, mm-hmm. what do you do when somebody who has so much money and so much power 
and then he gets rid of the truck, the the checks and balances. Yeah, and and actually though, before we get there though, I, I because that is where I'm heading. But I want to make sure that we're sort of working uh, with the same set of facts because I got to tell you, Spocko, right now. You talk to you know some people about what is going on at Twitter, and they you know they'll tell you, oh, it has all been exposed. You know the the huge scandal of uh, how the uh, leftists at Twitter have been uh, not just holding back uh, the right wingers, but actually they've turned this into here is how they stole the election from Donald Trump in 2020. They have been caught red-handed with election fraud. It's all ridiculous. That is not. Anything near what at least has been documented uh, as having happened based on those Twitter files threads that I've read. So I know that there's a lot of different opinions. Does my particular characterization of all of this in my intro there and so forth, does that uh, mesh largely uh, with yours or am I uh, mischaracterizing or, or missing anything in particular in that description? You are right on the money. And there's a line that you said in there that I'd like to point out, which was, according to Musk, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. <laughs> and I want to say Musk lies, mm-hmm. and he doesn't explain things fully, and he makes promises that he doesn't keep. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a very funny little bit that was done uh, on the uh, Daily Show about the promises that he's made that he's never kept in other areas, like his self-driving car, like his Hyperloop. And that's the thing that's missing, which is he has nobody who is going to say, well, that's not true, and we can look at the facts and the details. We can definitely see where he didn't deliver Mm -hmm. and where he made a promise, and it was not true and 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 there this is this bizarre sort of um thing going on where you know he's making a claim that oh you know see what they did they were so-called shadow banning people which is you know the people think they're posting uh but nobody else other than them is actually seeing it well as it turns out they weren't shadow banning there is no evidence of that at least that they have presented to us what they were doing is something called visibility filtering where they you know prevent people from too many people from seeing certain things it's there if you go to their particular page you can see it on twitter but they just don't share it a lot well that is exactly while he's being critical of that that is exactly what musk himself is now doing saying oh we're you know these all of these uh, nazis and racists were keeping their tweets from being seen Uh, there's this bizarre sense of uh, these people did something terrible. We're doing something different, even while doing the exact same thing. It's really bizarre. Yeah, it, this is something that we've seen with conservatives, where it isn't real until it happens to them. Mm-hmm. And um, the the thing about what he was talking about, uh, he made these problems himself. He's the one who welcomed these people back. Mm-hmm. And they came back, and they did what they have done before. And uh, uh, the, um, the, the, the lawyer, uh, Alejandro Cabrillo, she's a uh, Harvard cyber law person, and mm-hmm. she's in the uh, LGBTQ uh, plus community. And she's pointed out that these are the kinds of harm that is being done by people, and we historically, we know they do it, 
they come back and they do it again. They threaten people with death threats. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have to come back. So what happens then? Musk would say, well, you know, we'll report them and take them off. Well, we can do that, but how long does it take? The harm happened again, Mm -hmm. and it feels like there's no recourse. So that's one of the things I want to talk about is what are some of the recourse that people can do because of the harm that Musk himself Mm -hmm. initiated? Yeah, exactly. And by the way, you know, it, it's like watching this over and over again because you end up banning the same people that were banned in the first place for the same reasons that they were originally banned. It's like it didn't count until Elon Musk is there to see mm-hmm. why it's necessary uh, personally. Uh, okay, uh, Spocko. So what, if anything, can or should be done now? And I will underscore that this is a private company after all. Uh, Elon Musk can largely do with it as he sees fit after, you know, wildly overpaying for the company by tens of billions of dollars. So is for a start the best answer to simply walk away from the service, because I will tell you, for me, at least, it is still where all the people actually are. You know, I, just the, the, the comment that you say, I want to deal with this. It's mm-hmm. a private company mm-hmm. and he can do as he sees fit. Mm hmm within boundaries, within reasons. and uh, What, what reasons? He can, as long as he's yeah. legally operating it, he can do as he sees fit, right? Right. Well, there's some legal things that are still not allowed, and there are some things that are, we don't always have to get into legal, that are just horrific, that are bad, mm-hmm. that we can, we can talk about. Mm-hmm. And you had Sue Wilson on a couple of weeks ago. She was great. Mm -hmm. And one of the metaphors that she brought up, which I thought was fascinating, was talking about the uh, was coming out of there as if it was a toxic gas. Out of uh, it was uh, we were talking about uh, Alex Jones, and she's and a, uh, she, just to, for people to hear, she's a media expert, and she's been calling for Alex Jones to be removed from the public airwaves uh, right. due to FCC violations and so forth. Yes, press on. Right, and so it would be as if Musk, and this is uh, what he did: he brought back on uh, he 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 owns the factory. Mm-hmm. You know, he can do as he wants mm-hmm. in the factory. So he brought back the people who had previously unleashed a toxic gas on the community and distributed it through their pipeline to multiple communities around the country, mm-hmm. and they were fired for doing that. And he said, come on back, and um, I'm going to remove the guardrails, the, uh, the, the, the safety monitors mm-hmm. who are there, and I'm going to uh, you know, put a couple of uh, robots in there to, to, to check it out. The robots, are they're gonna, we're going to stop it. Well, they come back. And they start making toxic gas again, and the robots miss it, and it gets out to a bunch of people, and people get sick and die. But, and then you say, yeah. oh, well, he owns the factory. What are you going to do? Well, actually, in that case, yeah, one could say that. But what I would say is that, yeah, he owns the factory, but he still can't do things that are illegal. It is not illegal, for example, to put Donald Trump back on the service as offensive as it is and he is as dangerous as it might be to have, you know, covid deniers and election deniers back on the service or even Kanye West racists and Nazis, you know, posting swastikas. None of that is illegal unlike, you know, releasing toxic gas that kills people would be. Yeah, and I like to talk about this as 
what is legal and illegal. Um, that is a decision, and we, we always like to use the First Amendment example of saying, what can't you do? Well, mm-hmm. you can't, what is the one that they say? You can't falsely yell fire in a crowded theater. Now, mm-hmm. what's that about? It, it's about doing something, saying something, that will lead to harm. Disinformation that will lead to harm. And a very specific type of disinformation and harm. And we talk about what's legal and illegal, and one of the things that we know is that disinformation can be harmful and illegal, and we can decide to do things as a society. We can make it illegal, and we can decide to say, we as a country don't want to pass the law, but your private business should do something. You Mm -hmm. should have guardrails, and we're going to make it so that you can have speech. But if you go beyond these guardrails that we decide, then there will be consequences. So the consequences are not directly for Twitter or Musk himself, but rather the companies that are, because this is an advertiser-based model, Twitter, right now. So Mm -hmm. you go, you're suggesting go after the companies who are advertising on Twitter the way uh, I know you have uh, in your various campaigns, worked with various uh, folks, uh, Media Matters, etc., to go after the advertisers on, you know, Glenn Beck's show when he was on Fox News, etc. Is that what uh, needs to be done to target those uh, advertisers who are still on Twitter? Yes, that is one method, because that is the reason that I went after them. I said, look, they can say what they want, Mm -hmm. but they don't have to get rich doing it, and they don't necessarily want to have their brand associated with something that is violent. Mm -hmm. They don't want to have it associated with something that is uh, horrific. And they are very clear about, I don't want to be next to something. And I don't necessarily want to associate my brand. And so they pull their ass. Now, let me tell you what happened with this multiple groups Mm -hmm. got together. And they said, they went to the advertising events. Now, this is Color of Change, Free Press, Media Matters for America, a bunch of different civil rights activists mm-hmm. went there, advertised, and say, he's going to hurt your brand by doing and saying terrible things. He's letting these people who had been suspended for illegal content, not just difference of opinion, mm-hmm. got back. And so a bunch of them pulled their ads, a bunch of them paused it. Now, what happened after that? This is the thing that I, people want to remember is that when you take an action, realize they will have a response, and they won't necessarily, um, you know, stop, mm-hmm. okay? So we need, the group needs to go back again. What did Musk do? He said, oh, I, I, I'm going to, you know, fix things with robots. Mm-hmm. And what he did was he had, like, for example, his Twitter Blue failed campaign mm-hmm. where he allowed people to come back on for $8 and have a check mark, and so people did disinformation, they parodied or they mocked and pretended to be companies like Eli Lilly. Mm -hmm. Now, Eli Lilly, someone put out a tweet that said, you know, insulin, It's we're going to make it free or whatever. And it turned into costing Eli Lilly Mm -hmm. a $4 billion market cap. Right. So what happened then? Well, Musk, you know, pulled it and, and changed it. That was the kind of harm that a corporation with resources 
experienced. And so they said, you know, stop and musk it. Oh, I'm going to, you know, do that again. What about the harm for people? All of those advertisers, they saw what his failure to deliver on his safety promises. Mm -hmm. So then people in the groups, they went back to the advertisers and said, hey, keep paying attention to this because they're going to run horrific things next year ad. Musk, and this is the thing I learned from Silicon Valley, a lot of these people, the engineer mindset is, well, I'll just do an iteration. I'll do this. And then he then put out, he says, I've got a new bot that's going to change things so that everybody can go out and uh, put their ads up and they won't be next to this violent you know, speech or whatever. <laughs> that's not going to work. And this is one of the things that you talked about earlier, getting rid of the brand trust and safety group. Because humans are necessary involved in this process because it's complex and humans can see things like, oh, well, they changed the phrase from uh, okay groomer instead of calling people a pedophile, Mm -hmm. all right? They have a campaign. The group, and you mentioned uh, Yul Roth, who was the head of trust and safety. One of the reasons that these people are under attack is because they're the ones who are in charge of anticipating and looking at how to keep people safe. Right. And I thought that this, is, uh, this was one way. You go to the advertisers and you say, and the, the, the group that got together, uh, the, it, the free press, what, they what? said, Brand safety. This uh-huh. is what we want to do with brand safety. Brand safety can also lead to human safety. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, uh, how, so how does so if this group that you reference a number of uh, organizations, nonprofits, and so forth are going to uh, Musk and saying this is what needs to be done, or else you're going to lose. Or actually, they're not going to Musk. I guess they're going to the advertisers or figuring yeah. out who is still. Advertising. By the way, you mentioned Disney. I noticed that Disney was recently uh, advertising on Twitter since uh, Musk has taken over. Are are they having an effect on those advertisers? I do understand advertising. Uh, the rates are down something like eighty percent. Is that because of this effort? And as that goes forward, are you suggesting that people like me should just leave? Does that help in any way to leave the service? Because like I said, right now, that's where all the people are. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one option. It's also saying, what other areas of pressure can we put on somebody who may not care about the advertising revenue? And mm-hmm. this is one of the things It's like, hey, I got a I got a billion dollars. I can create a subscription service, or I can lose money for several months mm-hmm. because I don't want to change, or I'll bring in really low end advertisers to try and fill the gap. So one, keep telling the advertisers, saying, "Look, here's an additional new horrific thing that comes out, so that they will keep going away." Two, look at other ways to pressure them and other groups that have power over them. Now, you might have heard this is another thing that, uh, say, there might have been a story which was Apple, the App Store, said Mm -hmm. we might remove the Twitter app from the store because it doesn't meet our criteria for a social media app. And 
this was some this was one of the ways that parlor mm-hmm. was used to kind of keep it in they said you need to have a system that you was need a, to have a right wing uh, another uh, social media service uh, basically right. devoted to right wingers and and I should note uh, Spaco I've got just a minute or two here I got to wrap up so okay go ahead so <laughs> one of the things they do is we will go to apple and say people into the the twitter store and say i feel unsafe on this app mm. now and people went in you know did review did a one star you alert them that this is a unsafe app now musk went down to down to cook and said oh you know give me time you know i i'm going to keep going that is another way that we pressure people who are like this we say you need to have a way that keeps people safe mm-hmm. on this app and if you don't, then Apple goes, hey, we might remove you from the store. The other thing, the next thing we need to look at is ways that people can um, have some negative financial consequences to Musk. And that's where I talked about, and we, we can't get into this, about the healthcare workers who got threatened, which is you start working on lawsuits, civil lawsuits like defamation lawsuits, in order to say, Stop doing this. And this is something like Elon could do. I mean, we could do against Elon. And now, uh, Spocko, it sounds like, A, one message here is speak up. If you're troubled by all of this, let the people know. If you see them advertising on uh, Twitter, if you're uh, you know, in the App Store, the Apple App Store, if you're unhappy with what you are seeing from this service, let them know. Speak up. That makes a difference. Is there, to your knowledge, uh, yet a, sort of an organized uh, group to be supported who is, uh, you know, detailing who these advertisers are and, and so forth? Any websites that you can give us along those lines yet? Um, that's still uh, to be developed. This okay. group is uh, going to go back that I worked with before. Yeah. Um, they are gathering new information in order to say, hey, it is not appropriate. Um, the other group that I'm not going to be able to get into is uh, Twitter is international, and mm-hmm. there's other places in the like the EU mm-hmm. that say you need to have something in place, or we're going to cut you off. That's the other area that I was going I can talk about, but we don't have time right now. There are other ways to pressure them because we need to reduce the harm through this. On this particular platform. Keep up the pressure, Spaco. Keep in touch with us. We'll try to help out as we can. Uh, you know, we used to be able to tell people to go raise hell on Twitter. Now you'll, you know, maybe get removed for doing exactly that. I should note, by the way, uh, Spaco, you said that that uh, Twitter Blue service uh, that he was a subscription service that was charging eight dollars a month. He took it offline. It, it there were some big problems with it last night. Late last night, I noticed it was returned. It is now eleven dollars a month, and they promise, quote, coming soon, rocket to the top of reply. Replies and mentions and searches. Tweets from verified users will be prioritized, helping to fight scams and spam. In other words, doing the exact same thing that the pre-Elon Musk Twitter did that made the right-wingers so angry. So soon you'll be able to buy your free speech, buy it right up to the top of replies and mentions and searches, just as uh, Elon Musk uh, says, you know, he's a free speech absolute absolutist, I guess, if you can afford $11 a month in any event. 
<laughs> Michael Spacco. Uh, you can find him at Spacco's Brain on Twitter, if he's still there. On Mastodon, he is simply Spacco. And, of course, his website is Spacco'sBrain.com. Spacco, my friend, great speaking with you. Stay in touch. We'll talk about Thanks, this Brad. as it moves forward. Thank you, brother. Okay, uh, yeah, it turns out, Desi Doyen, free speech isn't free. <laughs> Uh, by the way... At least when Elon Musk is controlling it. Yeah, that's it. $11 a month. You can have all this free speech you want, I guess, uh, for $11 a month. Anyway, uh, by the way, since I am now on Mastodon, that other uh, non-Twitter social network, as the Brad blog, uh, since I've showed up there and people started following me, they've asked, where is Desi Doyen? I, I have signed up for uh-huh. Twitter at... Yeah. I mean, sir, for my, Mastodon uh, at Green News Report, but uh-huh. I, I haven't uh, looked at it or figured out how to use it yet, so I have to get on that. So I am there, sort of, I think. I think I did it right. It's because I'm working you too hard. You don't have a <laughs> minute's free time. I do understand that. All right, well, you can look soon on Mastodon for Green News Report. Indeed. You know, uh, and I just want to say that, yeah. that you know, I would be sad to see Twitter go, but I can understand why people are leaving in droves. I, I hope to stay on there mm-hmm. to continue to counter the disinformation and misinformation about climate change mm-hmm. and COVID and all mm-hmm. the other stuff. I think that if people leave, that makes that more difficult. Well, and as I said, that's where the people are still right now, even with the many people who have left. And if you want to reach the most people... Uh, with, you know, important news, news uh, about our, our shows each day and, and everything else. It is still at Twitter, uh, even though it has become a cesspool of of right wing madness. Nastiness. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ugly, yeah. ugly. I don't recommend it. If you're not on Twitter, <laughs> don't sign up now. You'll be very disappointed. Okay, got to get out. My thanks again to Spocko of Spocko'sBrain.com and on the Mastodons at Spocko. My thanks, of course, to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime for free at Bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you kind enough in this holiday giving season at the end of the year to hit one of those donate links at bradblog.com or just go straight to bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks, the Twitters and the Mastodons, <laughs> I am simply the Brad Blog. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck world. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1852. That was the day socialist leader Daniel de Leon was born in Curacao to Dutch Jewish parents. As a young man, he traveled Europe. He settled in New York City and earned a law degree from Columbia University in 1878. De Leon joined the Socialist Labor Party in 1890 and became the editor of its newspaper, The People. His book, Socialist Landmarks, consisting of a series of lectures, became wildly popular. These lectures 
lectures included Reform or Revolution, What Means This Strike, The Burning Question of Trade Unionism, and Socialist Reconstruction of Society. De Leon warned of reforms under capitalism as illusory. He argued for revolutionary socialism and soon assumed leadership of the Socialist Labor Party. As a former member of the Knights of Labor, he was critical of the American labor movement, often referring to the AFL as the American separation of labor for its business unionism and refusal to organize any but the most highly skilled white craft workers. De Leon also took a strong stand against racism in the socialist movement, stating, quote, why should a truly socialist organization of whites not take in Negro members, but organize these in separate bodies? On account of outside prejudice, then the body is not truly socialist. De Leon was among the socialist leaders at the founding 1905 Conference of the Industrial Workers of the World. By 1908, he and others looked to effect social change through the Socialist Party and existing trade union movement. This put them at odds with the direct action perspective of the IWW. Many left the IWW at this point, including De Leon and socialist leader Eugene V. Debs. When he died in 1914, more than 30,000 turned out for his funeral. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show.